0: Was a story about a missionary in Africa uh, who, who uh, was one day in his house, his son was out in the front yard playing, and as the missionary came out to check on his son, he, he told his son, son, you need to get down. And so his son fell down on the ground, and then he told his son, son, start crawling to me. And his son began to crawl to him, and then after a little ways, he said, son, you can get up. And his son got up, and he said, son, run to me. And his son ran to him. And it seems kind of a weird story to tell you, except to tell you what else was going on. Uh, when the missionary stepped out of his house, he saw a son playing underneath a tree, and right behind his son's head was a deadly viper. And so he told his son, son, fall down so that his son wouldn't die. Now imagine if his son, instead of immediately obeying his father, decided to ask the question, why? Or he decided to look around and see why his dad is telling him to fall down. The story would have ended much worse. Obedience is one of those things that sometimes as human beings we don't always like to do. You know, we don't always want to obey people. We want to know why. We want to ask those questions. Why? I want that information so that I can make my own choice. But sometimes obedience is the most important thing that we can do. And as adults, sometimes we forget about that. Sometimes we do ask the questions and we look around and we end up in a far worse situation than if we had just obeyed in the first place. The psalmist in Psalm 119 talks a little bit about obedience and why it's important for the people of God to obey the Lord so we're going to look at this section of Psalm 119. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 57 to 64 today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to open them up. And we're going to see what he has to say about obedience and why the people of God should obey God. Here's what he says. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and I have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. I think there's a couple of reasons why we are to obey God. And the first reason I think the psalmist gives us is, is because of who God is. Because of who God is, we obey. And, and this, is, this is what he says here. He says, the Lord is his portion. And this is a very unique word in the Old Testament. It's full of significance that we shouldn't overlook. Uh, when the Israelites came into the promised land, God had given them everything uh, that, they were, that they could see. But they also decided to give each tribe a different area of land. And so they went and they surveyed the land and they, uh, they decided that Judah would get this section and they kind of laid it out. And then Benjamin got this section and they just kind of went through and they divided all this land. And this entire process ended up being called the portioning of Israel. Uh, the Levites were the only tribe not given a piece of land, and part of the reason why they weren't given a piece of land was because they were tasked with going and, and taking care of the tabernacle and later the temple. They were the, the religious leaders. They were the ones uh, that, that offered the sacrifices to God, and, and there was so much that they had to do there that they didn't have time to plant crops or to grow animals, and so they were given this task, and so how did they get their sustenance? Well, every time the Israelites came and they offered a sacrifice to God, God gave a portion of that sacrifice to the, Is- to the Levites for them to eat and for them to survive. And so this word for portion ended up being very significant to the point that they start to go- call God himself their portion. And what they meant by the portioning of the land and the portion that the Levites had, it was this idea of of surviving and thriving. The Lord had given the Israelites this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. He had given this land that they didn't have to build cities in because there's already cities there. And they didn't have to build vineyards and wait for the vines because they were already built. It was a land that provided everything that they needed to not only survive, but also to thrive as a people. And the Levites themselves, they were given that same blessing because as the Israelites were blessed themselves, they gave a portion to the Levites for them to survive and for them to thrive. And so when the psalmist looks at God and says, God, you are my portion, he is talking about God being everything that he needs in life to survive and to thrive. If we examine ourselves for a moment, we can honestly evaluate the fact that we have been blessed greatly by God. We've been blessed with our families. We've been blessed with our jobs. We've been blessed with our country. We've been blessed uh, pretty much with everything that we have. God has given us it. But probably the greatest thing that God has given his people is forgiveness from their sins. I mean, God sent Jesus into the world to die the death that we deserve to die. He took our sins upon him on the cross, and now God provides salvation through the cross of Christ. It is a blessing beyond anything that we can imagine and so it only makes sense that based on who God is, the fact that he provides everything that we need to survive and thrive in life, the only appropriate response is obedience to him. Imagine you're going to work tomorrow and... And if you're going into work tomorrow, you have a job to do, right? You've been trained. You know what your task is. You know what you are expected of you. Uh, the, the company that you work for, they pay you to do that job. Imagine you go into job, your job, work tomorrow, and you decide, you know what? I really don't want to do this that they've trained me on. I'm going to do this instead. And imagine you go to your boss and you tell your boss, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to do this. How long of a conversation do you think that is? probably not going to last very long, right? All right, more than likely, you might not even make it out of there with a job still intact, depending on how you approach it. All right, and and this employer, they expect certain things from you because they write a check to you every two weeks or so. Now, we have a God who has provided more than an income for us. He has provided life itself. And God, while he gives us the choice to whether or not we're going to follow him, he expects obedience from his people. From those who have united themselves with Christ, he expects obedience from us. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 28 when he says to the disciples this great commission, go, make disciples, baptize them, and he says to teach them. To do what? To obey. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. them. See, Jesus knew it. He told his disciples that when you go and you make disciples, there's two important things that you do. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to obey. Obedience is required of us as the people of God. Paul understands this. He he writes about it in Romans chapter 6. This is kind of a long verse, but let me kind of uh, break it down for you. He says, don't you know that you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves? You are slaves of the one you obey. And basically what he says there is it doesn't matter what you think. You are obeying someone. And the choice is yours. You can obey someone. God, that's what he says next, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You can obey God, or you can obey sin in your life. You have the choice. But no matter what choice you make, you're obeying someone. And he says, thanks be to God that Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claim you. I think there's supposed to be another word there that's missing on there. Paul understood it. He understood that that we obey God and we got that choice. and, And the psalmist understood it. He says that we obey God because of who God is. He is the provider. He is the sustainer of life. And when we look at God and we evaluate God for who he is, we see that the only response we should have is obedience. Not only do we obey God because of who God is, but we obey God because of who we are. Uh, The psalmist says here in, in verse 59, when he says, I have considered my ways and I have turned my steps to your statutes. Uh, The word here for consider, it's it's more than just thinking about your life and being like, oh, you know what, I kind of messed up here and there. It's a judgment word. I look at my life and I judge it. Is it worthy? And too often in life, we look at our lives and we think that we're all good. But in reality, if we were to be honest with ourselves and we evaluated ourselves according to God's words, we find that we are wanting in so many different areas. You go into a factory, no matter where, what type of factory it is, at some point in time, they're going to come to a place where there is quality checks. And what they do is they look at all the products coming off the line, and if there's a product here that, that doesn't quite match up, it gets recycled or tossed and taken off the line because it's not up to par. At some time in our lives, we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to evaluate ourselves and we need to do a quality check of what we're doing in our lives and ask the question, am I living up to par with where God has called me? Am I living to the standards that have been set? And if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at ourselves, we will find that it's not always the case. And when that happens, we need to turn back to God. The psalmist says that here. He says, I've judged my ways and I'm not there. And so I've turned back to your statutes. And this idea of turning is the idea of repentance, the idea of walking to sin and recognizing it and turning around and walking back to God. And sometimes we need to do that. But it also is recognizing that there is a standard in this world. Too often our world doesn't want a standard. They don't want something to measure up to. I mean, I think a lot of the problems that we have in this world is because there is no standard that we as a society agree upon. And when there's no standard, things go wrong. If you worked in a company that made widgets and there was no standard on how you made them or or how many you were to make, you would find that this company would not be fun to work with because you might be the person that makes 10 widgets while this person over here is only making half a widget and you're getting paid the same. That wouldn't be a fun company to work for. Standards are important in life. They let us know where we're trying to go. It gives us a goal to set for who we are. And when there's no standards in the world, the standard becomes whatever I think and whatever I feel. And I may see you with a Rolex on your wrist and think you have way too much money and I should take that Rolex from you. And you have nothing you can say against me. Because I feel this way. When the standards of the world becomes about what we want and what we feel and what we think is right and wrong, it becomes a world that is broken. So there needs to be a standard, and that standard is God. And that standard is God's Word. And so when we evaluate ourselves, when we judge ourselves, we shouldn't judge about how I feel I did in this situation or how I talked to that person. The standard has to be what God thinks. And when we judge ourselves according to that, we find that we fall short. In fact, all of us, fall short. Paul says that in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all have messed up, all have made mistakes, all have done not what God says is wrong, and we all fall short of that glorious standard that God has set. And so we're left with this question, what can we do? And the answer is, turn to God. See, we don't measure up to God's ways but we have been given the way and if we turn to God and we turn away from the things that we were doing that didn't add up and we turn to God and we try, strive to obey God when we seek obedience in our lives we find that we can be more and more like Jesus God didn't just leave us here with no pattern to live by He gave us Jesus, and Jesus lived the perfect life, and Jesus showed us that we can strive to be better than what we are. And as we become obedient because we recognize that we don't match up, we turn to obedience to God, and we can become more and more like Jesus. And ultimately, that's the goal. So we are obedient, the psalmist says, because of who God is. He is the portion. He is the sustainer. We are obedient because we don't match up to God. And we are obedient, he says, because of who others are. Last Sunday in Las Vegas, a man rented out a hotel room and took up a bunch of guns and ammo and shot through the window and killed 59 people, injuring over 500 more. May of May 26th of this year, uh, there was a bus carrying a bunch of Coptic Christians in Egypt. It was stopped by some masked men who had some guns who also shot up the bus killing 28 men, women, and children. On June 18th in London, a man rented a car and he drove it to London and as a mosque was letting out of their worship service, he drove the car into the people because the government wasn't doing anything to stop the muslims our world is full of evil and hate and when the standard is what i think and then when the standard is what i feel what we result in is pain for everyone else Not only do we not measure up, but a lot of people in this world don't measure up. In fact, all of us don't measure up. And many don't even recognize God as the standard and it results in this world that we've been asking at least for the last 16 years. What is going on? Why? And I don't have an answer. I mean, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. But because of who they are, and because they mess up, I do know that the only way that there can be healing in this world is when I begin to be obedient to God. The psalmist talks about this. He says that when the wicked bind him, he does not forget God's statutes. See, when there's evil in this world, we can be very much tempted to stoop to evil and return, but we can't do that. We shouldn't do that. Corey Timboom was a lady from the Netherlands who lived during World War II, and the Nazis came in and occupied her country and. They started to round up all the Jewish people, and, and Corey began to, with her family, hide these Jewish people and try to get them to safety. And they had a room in their house that was uh, kind of secret. It's called the secret room, and it was hidden, and, and even though they were raided a couple of times, the Nazis never could find that room until finally someone tipped them off to where it was. And so Corey and her family were sent to a concentration camp, and uh, Corey recounts about how... Uh, one of these Nazi soldiers in particular was especially harsh uh, towards her sister, Betsy. And after the war, she survived. The uh, uh, Allies came in. They set everybody free. Corey returned to the Netherlands, and she set up a uh, rehab center, a place where people that had been a part of the, not- the concentration camps could come, and they could be re- rehabilitated into society because there was a lot of issues there, right? Not only that, but she also ministered to those who were uh, Dutch sympathizers with the Nazis. So there's people that kind of helped the Nazis out, and when everybody found out, nobody wanted to do anything for them. They didn't let them have jobs. They wanted to give them food. It was a bad situation. And so those people were allowed to come into her rehab places, and she would minister to them, even though she had faced probably the harshest thing you could face from the Nazis' hands. Eventually, she went to Germany, and and while she was there setting up her own rehabs again in Germany, uh, in came this man who happened to be that soldier that was extremely harsh towards her sister. And Corey, even though she had emotions, even though there was hatred in her heart that, that against this person, she showed love and kindness and ministered to him and was able to share her faith with him. There is evil in this world. And we could choose to be evil in return, but when we choose to be evil, we are not obeying God. But if we choose to obey God, we can show healing in a world that needs to be healed. When the psalmist writes about the wicked binding him with cords, it's not right that they are doing this. And yet he says, I will not forget what you've taught me. I oh, will not forget your ways. And that word for forget isn't uh, not remembering what the Bible says. The word forget there is choosing not to obey it. And how often in our lives, when people are doing evil things to us, do we just choose to ignore the Bible rather than following what it says? We need to obey. Even when there's evil in this world, even when people do bad things against us as Christians, even when people do negative things to us as human beings, we need to obey. And as we obey God because of who He is, and as we obey God because of who we are, and the fact that we don't measure up, and as we obey God because other people in this world are evil, what we find is that there is thankfulness in our lives. The psalmist makes a switch Here, starting in verse 62, when he says at midnight he will rise up and he gives thanks because of God's righteousness, his righteous laws. As we obey, what we find is that we become thankful for who God is. And there's a number of reasons why the psalmist gives that we are thankful for. One of them is because God has righteous ways. We live in a world that is constantly changing. We live in a world that what was right yesterday may not be right tomorrow. We we are constantly redefining what is right and what is wrong in our society, and yet we have this God who is the same yesterday as He is today, as He will be tomorrow. And God's words never change. God's standard of living is not going to be different this word for righteous is this word that eventually came to be called a standard measuring rod, if you will. I mean, for many years in the world, we didn't have a standard form of measurement. We, we kind of take it for granted, a uh, living post that. But just imagine that I told you to build something five cubits. All right, you know what a cubit is? All right, a cubit is more or less from my elbow to the tip of my fingers. Now, my daughter is a lot shorter than I am, Right? So her cubit and my cubit don't quite match up. And that's a problem when you're trying to build things, right? If your cubit and my cubit aren't quite right, we're going to build something that doesn't look the same. All right, so this is, this is important. There's a reason why eventually they came up with a standard. This is what a cubit is, and that rod is called righteous. It's a word that they used for it. The laws of God are righteous. They are the standard that we are to live by, and they are constant. They will not change, and because they are constant in the world that is constantly changing, we can be thankful for God that he is this way. We can be thankful that we know what is right and wrong, not because of what I think, not because of what I feel, but because of who God is. He says that you could be thankful because of the friends that you have, these friends that fear God and that obey him. And that word for friend is is a word of companionship. It's a word that's kind of described as as men going off to war and they come back as a band of brothers, closer than brothers because of what they experienced together. As Christians, we have a family that is closer than any family we have on earth. We have a family of believers who are able to be closer to us because they experience the same thing. In a world that is anti-Christian, we have people that know the struggle of living faithfully, of striving to obey God in all that we do. We can be thankful for those around us who support us. And we can be thankful for God's unfailing love. There in the last verse, he says that, He says, your statutes, all right, let me read the right passage. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Our love, the love of God is inexplicable and unimaginable. And we should be thankful in our obedience that we get to see God's love played out in our lives and in the lives of those that we know. We should be thankful that God loves us. I mean, God's love is so great that it goes beyond the people of God and goes into the ungodly as well. Jesus came and he died not just for you and not just for me, but he died for everyone, even those who are adamantly against him, even to this day. And I'm grateful for that. Because at one point in my life, I was a sinner. At one point in my life, I was not in Christ. And if God didn't love me when I was not a part of who He was and not a part of His people, then I would never be here today. But our God, He loves us. And He sent Jesus to die the death we deserve so that we might have forgiveness from our sins. And for that, we should be eternally grateful. Obedience in our lives is necessary. It's expected of us as the people of God. It's expected of us as we're going to follow him. It's expected of us because we recognize who God is and who we are and who others are. And as we obey God, we will become more thankful for who God is and what he has done. So my encouragement to you today is to obey. Even in a world that is full of disobedience, even in a world that is full of evil and hate and and bad things happen, obey. Be faithful. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful for your Son. We're grateful for the love that you've shown us. We're grateful for the sacrifice that was made that we might become your children. And I pray, God, in our lives that as we look at you, as we examine ourselves, as we look at the world, that we will find obedience as the path that we take. Let us not forget your laws. Let us not forget what you have said is right and wrong, but let us live to that standard in our lives. Thank you, God, for Jesus and the sacrifice that gave us life. It's his name we pray. Amen.